Welcome to Renegade Inc. The rise of hyper-individualism and an I-me-mine culture has encouraged two personality types to dominate business and politics. Where money, power and status lie, the corporate psychopath and the narcissist can be reliably found relentlessly chasing success at the expense of everybody else. And man, welcome to Renegade Inc. And thank you very much for joining us. It's lovely to be with you. You uh, have thought a fair bit about uh, two of the ills that dog Western society. One is neoliberalism and the other is narcissism. And actually, uh, you've made a connection between the two. Just walk us through what you think that connection is. Perhaps if I start by just outlining uh, the work on narcissism as to exactly what constitutes a narcissistic character. The core elements are things like um, having an overwhelming sense of entitlement, um, of being grandiose, uh, and, uh, but without a commensurate kind of um, achievement, a willingness to exploit others, and a lack of empathy. I call it the three deadly E's of narcissism. Uh, and a very unstable sense of self, whereby the self-esteem is too high most of the time, but if the person is criticised, they'll retaliate. Uh, with humiliated fury. Um, so this is a person also who in the workplace will often try and take credit for things that other people do. And they are extremely good at what they call impression management. So giving a sense of uh, an impression of being a better person than they are a more successful person. You know, a typical example would be on Facebook, curating a sense of self that is actually quite inaccurate to what the person's actually like. And a sense of bodily narcissism, but uh, not always. Um, often people assume it's only about bodily narcissism, but it's not. This is a person who wants to um, pursue attention, to get attention, but is unwilling to give it. So it's kind of like the person you have lunch with who talks nonstop about themselves, and then at the end of the lunch says, well, look, enough about me. What do you <laughs> So it's, it's, it's that kind of um, excessive self-focus. So this person is really quite difficult uh, to deal with. Uh, and what uh, scholars um, have found around the world, uh, psychologists, is that it's on the rise. So because it's increasing, it's very problematic, obviously, to have uh, more individuals who may not show all of those qualities, but are showing uh, more of them and more of the time. So have the rise of quite extreme narcissism, as in narcissistic mass killers, who are, for example, like in California um, or in Sweden. Um, and their purpose is to become quite famous via the slaughter and to uh, place a manifesto on the internet. And uh, so the, the, this kind of narcissistic killer is a new phenomenon. And just um, for our viewers, the reason why we mute uh, the names of those killers is so not to give uh, any more airtime or fame to them. But I'm sure you can put the pieces together and work out who they are. Um, a lot of people uh, listening to your description of a narcissist will be, uh, there'll be lights going on because they'll be working with these people. Corporates have become, in a sense, safe houses for people who, with low to no ability. Uh, but do have a grandiose sort of feeling about themselves and they project that to either get more status or uh, to get a pay rise or to claim uh, the work that other people are doing. 
How much is the narcissist now uh, um, prevalent in the corporate world? And what are the, what's the uh, downside? What's the, the uh, fallout for employing such people? Well, the, the narcissist in the corporation, um, there's been a lot of really interesting work showing that many CEOs of the um, corporation are either high in narcissism or, you know, um, full-blown narcissists. So the, uh, it doesn't mean absolutely every firm, but that's um, uh, now there's been quite a lot of research in it. They've looked at um, end-of-year reports, for example, and they'll find the more narcissistic the CEO, there will be all the, the letter I all the time. They're talking about themselves. Less narcissistic the CEOs, the leadership teams at corporations, will talk about we and will include people and will recognise the contributions of others. So that's just one example of the damaging um, qualities. Uh, they're also more likely to take risks. It's not only a question of these personality types that you're encountering. It's actually to look behind what people are, are um, rubbing up against, you know, the, the jerk in everyday life, and see that the whole economy, when we shifted into a neoliberal economy, began to exemplify and encourage values uh, like hyper-competitiveness, yep. self-enhancement, yep. the, um, the idea that the wage you earned is the measure of all things and it's the measure of your success and worth in the world, um, that whether you have a job is your worth in the world and if you don't have a job then you are a parasite and a sponger and, um, and so on. So neoliberalism it is not just an economic system which promotes free market ideals and which cuts government spending and um, which privatises and so on. It actually carries with it a new kind of culture. There's a lot of really interesting research now showing the connection between greater inequality, which is an um, extraordinary uh, effect of neoliberalism, um, and greater narcissism. That is, the richer you are, the more narcissistic you are uh, likely to behave. So. Um, that's another of the avenues, and there's been some really interesting social science research on that. Let me ask you a chicken and egg question. Uh, it's famously Alan Greenspan, the former uh, chair of the Fed in the US, is a Ayn Rand devotee. He would go and listen to uh, you know, chapter and verse uh, on hyper-individualism uh, and the Ayn Randian approach of abject selfishness uh, and getting on at all costs. The chicken and egg question is this, did neoliberalism come first to play into the narcissistic aspect of society or has neoliberalism birthed this? So did our Chicago boy Milton Friedman economists come out and exploit uh, narcissism or uh, did the, the neoliberal system just play to the most base human uh, attributes, if you like, and say, actually, we can have these animal traits, uh, animal spirits, in fact, reign supreme? Well, I think that the, um, the, the, the original, you know, the way society was moving before the advent of neoliberalism um, was quite different. So that when neoliberalism um, came uh, to, from the wings, as it were, to deal with problems of stagflation and um, problems uh, perceived of uh, too much power uh, held by unions and so on, I don't think people really understood 
exactly what it would usher in. Right. But it also, and this is a key point, um, like narcissism itself is usually serving the privileged. The narcissist puts himself in a position of privilege. And in neoliberalism, this was a system that privileged financial elites, that privileged political elites, that privileged the top 1%, but even the top 20%, um, while wages um, of the ordinary folk um, stagnated um, both everywhere where neoliberalism took root. But I think that the harsher, more punitive and more competitive, you know, as I call it, hyper-competitive system did actually cause um, more narcissistic behaviour. Uh, people will report huge differences in the nature of academia over 20 to 30 years in behaviour of people and the kind of pressure people are under, the stress people are under to keep their jobs is, is, um, is quite different in many, many workplaces. So the rise of a precariat of people in the gig economy and people who have part-time casual work, people who have insecure, low-paid jobs, usually in the care sector, in an aged care home or in childcare centres, all of those people are dealing with a society that serves a very different group, an elite group, and a group that more or less talk to each other. The often the kind of sense of reality which is conveyed by TV, by newspapers, uh, is always suggesting that government, business, education is on behalf of all. But actually what we've seen is a hollowing out um, of many of those institutions and even a corruption of those institutions because of the rise not only of individual narcissism, but because and because narcissism kind of works in order to get ahead um, and a new kind of norms of self-enhancement uh, take over um, and people uh, tend to be much more ruthless um, and there's a, a, a new kind of character ideal which has has um, has taken form and taken root. So the Gordon Gecko character, Greed is Good, in the uh, Wall Street film, obviously played by Michael Douglas, the new uh, Gordon Gecko, if you like, is the sort of arch narcissist, isn't it? Because as you say, to get ahead, whatever that sort of means, well, I know what it means to those people, the narcissist, to get ahead, you have to be devoid of empathy, you have to be ruthless, you have to be hyper-competitive, you have to uh, subordinate those around you, it has to be I, me, mine. The new Gordon Gecko, Greed is Good, is, um, is maybe the slogan is empathy is for, for losers. Uh, well, that's very well put, yes. I think there's something where the ability to take another person's perspective and the ability to empathise with another uh, has been uh, diminishing in the United States, for example. There's been quite a bit of social science research showing um, the decline of both of those really important human qualities. Uh, and empathy and the ability to take another person's perspective is so central uh, to uh, defeating qualities like entitlement or ruthlessness or exploitativeness. Um, whereas we've um, really created a world where those kinds of obnoxious qualities, the, the you know, just a jerk qualities um, are actually dominating. And many people now feel that they have to self-enhance, they have to try and promote themselves, they have to curate a sense of self on one of the social media forms or, or many of the 
social media platforms. So it's it, it becomes um, a vicious circle. There's no doubt that the kind of hyper-competitiveness, the ruthlessness, the um, releasing the animal spirits of free market fundamentalism, uh, the new hierarchies, the inequality, which um, became much more pronounced, is all part of um, creating a world where narcissists flourish and um, as one um, feminist writer in the US said, nice girls and guys come last. So there's a, a feeling amongst many people of utter frustration at seeing um, people, whether it's in their family or workplace or in uh, political parties, do well while lying, cheating and uh, otherwise behaving badly. And we talked uh, in the first half about um, narcissism in the workplace, narcissism in politics, you know, the, the rise of the, the narcissist and, and also the economic linkage, if you like. Neoliberalism has incubated uh, uh, and exacerbated a lot of these traits in these people. One thing that we didn't talk about is consumption. Now, you're living in uh, Australia. Uh, you, it's the second most uh, indebted private debt, that is, uh, country in the world, um, second only to an anomaly, which is Switzerland. But actually, when it comes to private debt, you guys in Australia are champions at it. What has uh, narcissism and consumption done to, the, to society? What's it done to the human being? And do we have to go out and, you know, the famous bumper sticker in the US, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, are we still in the grip of that? Or is that consumption culture starting to wane? Well, firstly, uh, I agree with you that there is a link between consumption and narcissism and neoliberalism. In fact, I'd go so far as to say neoliberalism actually requires narcissism to flourish. And the reason is that it leads to greater consumption. Right. So that a, a really circular aspect. And often people will just throw up their hands and say it's... it's um, it's terrible that narcissism is on the increase without seeing that there's an absolute economic logic to this for the very simple reason that people who are higher in narcissism buy more. They are more oriented to materialism. They are more oriented to brand names and their sense of self, which is always a bit shaky, is more dependent upon uh, all the trappings of material success. Now, what we know is that none of those things will really bring contentment or happiness and it's certainly not going to bring a light carbon footprint which is really important for all of us uh, so in the case of australia however i don't think it's merely individual decisions or anywhere where house prices and real estate has gone through the roof and that's why there's a lot of private indebtedness so what's the reason it's actually neoliberal economic policies which have encouraged, encouraged um, protections for investors such that, and um, uh, monetary policy such that it's an extremely good way to sink money for investors. Meanwhile, we have rising rates of homeless and we have, as you correctly said, um, rising rates of um, the most um, incredible indebtedness, which of course makes us very vulnerable if there's any kind of crash. 
Are we at a moral quickening moment with narcissism and neoliberalism? Have people had enough experience from of it uh, and then uh, also witnessed the pandemic uh, and understood uh, the value of kindness, the value of empathy? Are we at a moral quickening moment where people say, you know what, enough's enough? I think that we're in the antechamber of a moment. <laughs> because I think we're not there yet. And we have to be by people naming it and calling it out and seeing the connections between people. It's it, seeing the connections between things like um, cheating in sport uh, and the narcissistic jerk at the office by seeing the narcissistic politician who's all about lying and impression management, you know, like um, Donald Trump going to church holding a Bible upside down. Uh, those kinds of ways of behaving. There's a different way of looking. And I think there's a longing and hunger in so many people for a different way of seeing. And it is a way that doesn't diminish someone who's lost their job who doesn't diminish someone because I've got a mental illness or had a mother with a mental illness um, or doesn't shrink the humanity away from someone who is poor and so on. So there's, I think that the, the, the kinds of um, values you see operating in the mainstream press and in um, political parties and in corporations, the elite who've benefited so much from neoliberalism, there's another kind of um, consciousness out there where people are uh, quite different in the values they have and in their attitudes and there's not you know not everybody um, is responding obediently to the narcissistic credo and uh, thank you for the life of i it's wonderful um, thank you also for your time uh, and for your contribution we really appreciate it it's been a pleasure thanks for letting me speak to you Dr. Clive Arbody, welcome to Renegade Inc. Great to have you with us. Good to be here as well. Dr. Body, you, uh, for a long time, since early 2000s, have thought about uh, psychopaths in the workplace. You've got some characteristics here, deceitful, manipulative, uh, public humiliation of others, a lack of empathy, falsely charismatic, egotistical, self-centered, and also scapegoating or blaming others for, for their actions. Could you uh, make the distinction between a psychopath, a corporate psychopath, and a narcissist? What is the difference between those two characters? Well, different writers have different uh, determinations of the characters of these two people. But basically, essentially, a psychopath has no conscience um, and doesn't care whether people like them or not. A narcissist tends to want people to like and admire them because that's part of that narcissistic personality. What this does, it, it makes narcissists not quite as dark as psychopaths, because narcissists want to be admired, and at least by their followers, if no one else, whereas psychopaths really don't give a damn. Um, and so that's the key difference between them. Some writers will talk about aggressive narcissists or uh, violent narcissists, and, and really they're their definition is is drifting towards that of the psychopath once they use that term, kind of terminology. Uh, and there's a sort of overlap between narcissists, Machiavellians and, and psychopaths, with the Machiavellians and psychopaths being very, very similar and narcissists being slightly different. 
how prevalent is it uh, that we are that these people are amongst us and alive and well? How prevalent are they uh, when it comes to leadership in the corporate realm? Well, in terms of incidence in the adult population, the the best measures are between 0.6% and 1.2% of the adult population uh, who are categorically psychopathic. Some of those, of course, end up in prison. Others go into cor corporate life. Um, but importantly, it's a continuum of personality traits. And some researchers, like a guy called Levinson, estimate, and it estimates that uh, around 23% of males have sufficient psychopathic traits to be problematic for society. So you have the categorically psychopathic, and on top of that, you have the partially psychopathic who may, who may have some um, of these traits. Why does the neoliberal workplace uh, champion uh, these people? How can they reliably end up in leadership positions? Well, they end up in leadership positions for a variety of reasons, some of them individual in orientation and some of them environmental in orientation. In terms of individual characteristics that help them get to the top, they're very determined to succeed because they're motivated by power, money and control. And these are the things that some organisations um, offer in greater abundance than others. So, for example, uh, they'll tend to go into well-paid, hierarchically structured, financially successful uh, corporate entities rather than nursing, for example. It's also partly one of their characteristics that they have a dearth of emotional connectivity, and, and this is linked to brain potentialities and, and brain connectivity issues. So the, the emotional parts of their brain isn't as connected and isn't as activated as the brains of the rest of us are. So that lacking this emotional connectivity with other people, even if they're married, even if they have children, etc., um, leaves them free to spend more time pursuing wealth and more time at work. And this, again, makes them look productive and helps them get advancement in their careers. In terms of environmental influences, with the more and more fast, rapid turnover of personnel in organisations and the quickly changing workplace, where people change jobs every two, three, four years, um, we find that we get to know our colleagues less and less than we used to. So I don't know if my colleague beats his children or abuses his wife um, because I don't know them well enough. And, and that en enables the psychopathic to hide their true personalities because of this shallow veneer of normality that they have um, and this lack of deep understanding that we have of our colleagues. You started doing this work and thinking about this subject uh, back in 2005. And when you talk to people uh, about it, uh, was it the case that people laughed and said, actually, there aren't such things as corporate psychopaths? All the psychopaths are in prison and that's where they should be? Well, yes, yeah, certainly. Back in the early days of 2005, the paradigm was that psychopaths are criminals and psychopaths are in prison. So when I used to present on corporate psychopaths, you used to hear guffaws in the audience, but particularly academic audiences, you know, my fellow colleagues, who thought this was a leap too far. The, 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 the idea that psychopaths could be in leadership positions in corporate entities was just too much for some people to, to grasp. 
Surely, though, 2005, three years later, 2008, huge vindication for you, uh, where these people uh, had driven large uh, institutions to the wall because of their behaviour. Um, there are banks in the UK uh, who <laughs> will remain nameless, but I can name three or four of them uh, who had people uh, in leadership positions who've now left uh, the British taxpayer footing the bill uh, because of the way they behaved in the boardroom. Well, a paper of mine is, as you might or might not know, it's called the, the Corporate Psychopaths Theory of the Global Financial Crisis. And this, this theory basically says that the corporate banking sector, because of the amount of uh, bonuses and reward, financial rewards in particular you can gain in senior positions, attracts psychopaths in greater numbers than other sectors of the economy do. So if you're after money, power and prestige, then you would tend to go into financial services. If they're as good at getting to the top as we think they are, and, and the evidence produced seems to say that they are. So although there are only 1% of categorical psychopaths at the bottom of an organization, the further up you go, the more of them there seem to be. Uh, and the best estimate uh, or the best research finding so far is that around 4% of senior leaders are psychopathic categorically. This might be even more in some sectors of the economy relative to others. Um, and also, once you add in that extra 23% of, of males who, are, who have significant psychopathic traits, then the, the problem becomes exacerbated. And once these people are in leadership positions, then the whole culture and ethics of an organisation is, is influenced by those leaders in a downwardly ethical direction. And the culture of greed and risk-taking uh, and gambling with other people's money becomes enmeshed and, and part of the culture. And that leads to what happened, uh, which is, we all know, marked by excessive greed and avarice. People watching this who are in a culture that has become toxic because uh, a, a figurehead, a leader, has these traits uh, and has negatively affected, you know, in a downward way, uh, spiraled not only the ethics but the risk taking and all the uh, negative connotations that come with that. What can they do? Because you've had a brush with some of these people and you took action. What would you advise somebody watching this who says, actually, I think the guy or girl at the top here has these traits uh, and I feel marooned? Uh, well, first of all, I'd warn them to be extremely careful about confronting these people. They will revert to nasty behaviour if you thwart their aims and objectives. So, first of all, be careful. Secondly, there are usually multiple victims. You might feel as if you're the only one, the only one that's been abused or sexually harassed or bullied, etc. Um, but there, there'll be more of you. And if you can gather together as a group and marshal your evidence, uh, it becomes a lot more persuasive if you try to challenge these people through either HR or through more senior ombudsman in your professional organisations or whatever it is, uh, industry sector you belong to. Dr Clive Arbody, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome.